What are the core ideas of self-improvement? Written by Scott Young, March 2020. In any field, there are a few ideas that are core to understanding everything else. Biology makes little sense without evolution. Physics without symmetries and conservation laws is baffling. All mathematics can be built out of sets. Now, self-improvement isn't usually regarded as an intellectual field. It's mostly an assortment of various gurus and pundit suggestions on how you ought to be more successful, happier, or wise. Thus, it may seem like self-improvement doesn't really have core ideas at all, just opinions. However, I think there are some common themes to the art of living better. These are ideas that are pervasive, coming up again and again. Even in the writing of people who take a stand against them, their prevalence still requires that they be acknowledged. So what are these core ideas? Let's look at seven. One, habits. Nearly all forms of self-improvement first require that you change your behavior. Unless the improvement you're after is purely mental, you're going to have to actually do something first. Habits, then, form a central idea in behavior change. Being able to make certain behaviors automatic, or at least more automatic, is going to help tremendously with any change you might want to make. To get fit, you need to have a habit of eating well and exercise. To get rich, you need to have a habit of saving and investing. To have loving relationships, you need good habits of communication. Not only are habits central to self-improvement, but they're also one of the best studied aspects of psychology. We have countless studies that show how the impact of association, rewards, punishments, and contextual cues will have on behavior. Two, goal setting. How can you reach a destination if you don't know what it is? Goal setting not only involves deciding what you want, but planning how you should get there. It's a common theme, even if many people disagree about which aspects are most important. Goal setting has also been studied by psychological research and generally found to be helpful. However, it also seems clear that just having an idea about what you want to achieve usually isn't enough, although it may be a necessary start. Thus, goal setting on its own needs to be paired with plans, systems, or habits if it is going to be successful. A good heuristic for goal setting is that they should be smart, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. Implementation intentions formulated as if blank 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 then blank 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 plans tend to work better than just focusing on an outcome on its own. Planning fallacies also need to be watched as many goal setting efforts can be overly optimistic. Now some view the disadvantages of explicit goal setting outweigh the benefits. These people either argue for being entirely process oriented and ignoring outcomes entirely or just simply negate the value of achievement itself in favor of different values that you ought to strive for in life. Three, systems. Systems are tools that structure your behavior and decisions with formal rules. A productivity system is one type of system, in this case aimed at helping you get work done by organizing the things you need to do and telling you when to do them. Other systems exist for helping make decisions, managing knowledge, or organizing your approach to specific domains of life. The opposite of systems is an intuition-based or spontaneous approach. What systems try to encourage is to create explicit rules or guidelines which will discourage some tendencies you'd like to avoid. So getting things done, for instance, is a famous productivity system based on avoiding the tendency that we have to just forget what we need to do. 
Systems are often built off of concepts of scientific management and organizational theory, but applied to one's personal life. Thus, business concepts like standard operating procedures, quarterly reviews, and key performance indicators get repurposed as self-improvement concepts. Systems like goal setting also have detractors. Spontaneous, intuitive, creative, or emotional approaches to improvement may be suppressed if you have an overly rigid system. And nonetheless, understanding systems, even if you choose to apply them selectively, is a core concept worth knowing. 4. Emotional self-regulation Much of self-improvement has to deal with managing, guiding, or listening to our emotions. Indeed, those who take happiness to be an emotional state, central to our existence, may argue that all self-improvement is ultimately aimed at making us feel better. Beyond being an end in itself, emotional self-regulation has important instrumental purposes as well. Overcoming fears and anxieties represents a huge swath of self-improvement literature. Motivation and willpower overlap here as well, even if they may be better seen as concepts distinct from emotions or subjective feelings. Cognitive behavioral therapy sees thoughts, feelings, and behaviors all being parts of an interrelated system. The way you think about things affects how you feel, which affects what you do. How you feel in turn affects your thoughts and then your actions. And actions too with their consequences can later impact feelings. So exposure therapy is a clear example of this direction where you expose yourself to your fears and then that makes you fear them less in the future. Others argue in favor of listening to emotions more than trying to manage or regulate them. In this view, emotions are important signals to tell you about the significance of events, often surpassing your ability to analyze situations rationally. The job, school, or relationship you feel bad about might not be good even if you can't entirely say why. 5. Learning now, learning is a tricky concept here because there's actually two different senses of the word. The first is a synonym for studying. This is something that matters to students, certainly, but it may not be something that you feel is central to your life if you're no longer in school. Learning is also a basic psychological process. Every time we change from experience, get better at anything, or remember something, it involved learning. In this second sense, learning is a core concept of self-improvement. Like habits, learning has been studied in incredible detail, making it a rich source of research-driven insights into self-improvement. Some might argue that learning is the core of psychology itself. Now, I've spent more time writing about this core concept than anything else, in part because I feel it's often been neglected in self-improvement, perhaps because many people conflate it with studying. Learning in the first sense of deliberate studying is also an important tool because it's simply the means by which one can understand the other tools better. So I tend to give learning a priority even if many other authors don't. Six, values and meaning. Most of the core concepts I've discussed so far are instrumental, useful for reaching some purpose. However, a core concept of self-improvement is a reflection on those purposes themselves. So this typically moves away from psychology and more towards philosophy and religion. What you ought to value in life and how you derive meaning from things are deep questions which we've debated for millennia. Even self-improvement itself is a perspective, one which some pundits argue explicitly against. Now there are two levels that this issue can be approached. The first is to find a system of meaning or values that you want to self-consciously emulate. This could be Stoicism, Buddhism, Christianity, or some kind of secular humanism. You might want to consciously inhibit some of your vices and enhance your virtues. You might decide that happiness is the meaning of life, 
or that the purposes of our lives transcend how we feel about them in the moment. The second level of this is to investigate the meaning of meaning itself. This is a more esoteric job of philosophers and perhaps too abstract for many people who just simply want an answer for how life is supposed to be. But given the plurality of systems, which often explicitly contradict each other, understanding meaning and values themselves can often help structure your decisions about which meanings and values you ought to strengthen. Number seven, thoughts and beliefs. Thoughts refer to the things you say to yourself in your head. Much mental content isn't verbal, but our ongoing self-narrative is an important part of both our quality of life and as an instrument to achieve things. Now, what beliefs are precisely and whether or not they actually even exist is a little bit less clear. Some would classify a belief as a propositional statement in your head, like a little bit of logic with a true or false attached to it. Others would see beliefs as statements of probability, so you have something that's 90% true or 54% false. Still others might argue that beliefs don't really exist in our heads at all, but are only inferable by our behavior. In this sense, we act as if we had beliefs, but we don't really have anything corresponding to probabilities or propositions inside our minds. Now, regardless of the exact format of thoughts and beliefs, they form a core concept in self-improvement for multiple reasons. The first is that beliefs and thoughts may become self-fulfilling prophecies. Many argue that since thoughts and beliefs have a causal impact on your behavior, and thus the results you experience, you may get into cycles of self-limiting beliefs that become true only because you believe in them. Thoughts also create emotional feelings as well, and thus we may want to control our thoughts even if we don't care so much about changing our external outcomes. The constant worrier may have a nagging voice in her head that says her success never counts, for instance, and she'd rather get rid of that even if she's not trying to become more successful. The importance of thoughts and beliefs ranges depending on whom you ask. For some, beliefs have an almost mystical power to transcend a physically justifiable version of reality. So for these people, to believe something is in a certain sense to literally make it true. Okay, others reject the supernatural, but arguing that beliefs still highly constrain our attention, making self-fulfilling prophecies frequent. On the opposite extreme are those that argue for a mostly passive role of beliefs, so they record the world, but don't change the outcomes and way you experience it that much. To those people, having true beliefs matters much more than believing things to make them true. Now, regardless of where you sit in the spectrum, the content of our thoughts and beliefs is central to self-improvement. So, which core concepts did I miss? There are certainly other concepts in self-improvement which I've skipped over in this discussion. Some ideas are important, but I didn't see them as universal, so I excluded them. So, compound growth or progressive training or metrics. Now, if you have your own thoughts of core ideas that come up again and again in self-improvement, I'd love to know if you could share in the comments. Thanks for listening to this episode. More episodes like this can be found by searching for Scott H. Young Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, and most other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider rating my show as it helps other people find out about it. More of my work can be found on my website, scotthyoung.com. Thank you.